Hi, I'm Steve Blummer, pastor of family and adults here at the church. For those who don't know me or not sure what I really do around here, I uh, oversee the children's ministry with our children's director, Jay Tilly. I help promote parenting and meriting marriage tools and events alongside with overseeing our small groups, which are eight to 12 people who meet in various locations uh, throughout the week for Bible study and care for one another. I also uh, am the staff support person for our men's and women's ministries, as well as for our deacons who are all servant leaders. And that fits well into today's message. We're in a five-part series called Holy Habits, where we're looking into the basics of what you and I need to be doing, what we should be doing as Christians, as God-believing people, in order to grow in our knowledge of God and in our relationship with Him. And this is part four. We've looked at prayer, Bible reading, and Bible study, and worship. And all of those really go hand in hand. Uh, missing one of these is like driving a car with a wheel missing. It will go, but just not the way it's designed or its full potential. And this week's wheel is serving. Now, when I say serving, you probably have a few things in mind, such as volunteering at a soup kitchen and serving food to those who have food insecurities. You may have thought about collecting and donating canned goods or winter coats to refugees or to the homeless. You might have thought about helping out in our Kids Connect as a teacher or an assistant. And you would be correct in any of those examples. But serving is a little bit more than that. And I'm going to talk a little bit about what serving is, but I really want to focus on why we serve, why serving matters. You know, in the New Testament, there's one main word for serving. It's diakono. It's used when the angels came and they served Jesus after he had fasted for 40 days and he was tempted by the devil. It's used when Martha was complaining to Jesus why Mary had abandoned and allowed her to only do the serving duties by herself. It's used when the early church had handpicked faithful men to oversee the service of food distribution to the widows. And they called them deacons or servants. The Apostle Paul would often refer to himself as the strongest form of a servant, doulos, which is a servant bound by an oath, a life of service to his owner. And when we look at the New Testament, we see serving in many different capacities and ways. For one, we see that serving is teaching the Bible. In Acts chapter 6, verse 4, it says, We will give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry or the service of the word. Right now, I am serving you with God's word. That's one way in which we can serve and one which way I am serving you. We also serve by proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the good news to people who don't know the good news of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 through 19 who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry or the service of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling, restoring relationships of the world to himself. That is a ministry, a service. So when you share the good news with somebody else, you are serving. We also serve by showing hospitality, opening up our homes. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15. Brothers, you know the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia 
and I have devoted themselves to serving the saints. Opening up your home. Maybe you could be a small group host home where you open up your home for a few people to come in as you study the Bible and care for one another. Also serving is caring for the needy. And this is what we kind of gravitate to in Acts 6, verse 1. It said their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution or the daily serving of the food to these widows. Serving is also sharing our resources within the local church. Acts 2, 44 through 45 says, Now all the believers were together and held all things in common, They sold their possessions and property and distributed or served the proceeds to all as anyone would have need. And so everyone would bring what they could to the church and then the church would give that out to those who were in need. And we do that here at Hope Chapel in various capacities, serving those who are in need right here within our local body, our local church. Serving is also giving financially to help other churches, missionaries, and missions. We see that in Acts 11, verse 29. So each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief or service to the brothers who lived in Judea. So not only are we helping those within our local church, but we're helping other churches within our region, other churches around the world, helping missionaries, helping other ministries make an impact where they are. And so as you give financially, you are serving. And so those are just some of the ways in which we see serving. But I really want to focus on why do we serve? Why shouldn't you and I serve in any of these ways? Well, first of all, we serve because it's an expression of our worship. It's an expression of our worship. You know, last week, Pastor Neil talked about worship. Worship is placing trust, value, and worth on something or someone through allegiance, gifts, or service. He defined worship as the act of acknowledging God's value and then prioritizing your life around that value. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew used lots of words for worship, including to bow down, including to give reverence or respect to, as well as to work and serve, to work for and to serve. See, Pastor Neil talked about that we can often come to church and we can come and just listen and leave, and that's not worship. Worship needs to engage our beliefs, our view of who God is, is activated during worship. And it's those beliefs about God that engage then our actions. See, you and I do something because we believe something true about it. Let's say, did you eat breakfast this morning? Maybe because you thought it's an important meal to start your day and you know that your body needs something to get it going to give energy for the rest of the day. Or maybe you didn't eat breakfast because you believe that it doesn't matter and you believe that your body doesn't need food right away to give it the fuel for the day. You believe something about breakfast. You beliefs engage your actions. And because our actions are tied in with our beliefs, our beliefs are tied in with our worship. God ties what we do, what we say, with worship. 
And we can see an example in this in Joshua chapter 24. Joshua was given a, a plea to the nation of Israel, kind of an ultimatum. He was uh, the follower after Moses. He led the, the nation into the promised land. And at the end of his life, he gave them kind of an ultimatum. Here's what you need to do. Joshua 24, verse 15. But if it doesn't please you to worship, or the word there is to work for, or to serve Yahweh, Choose for yourselves today the one you will worship or serve or work for. It's either the gods your fathers worship beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites whose land you are living. As for me and my house, we will worship or serve or work for Yahweh. So we have decisions to make. And all of the people at that time, they proclaimed, we are going to worship, we are going to serve we're going to work for the Lord as well as you, Joshua. And Joshua said, then get rid of your foreign gods. Get rid of your idols and obey God. Worship God and then obey him. Obeying God is doing what he commands you to do and living your life according to how he desires you to live. What we do all day long is either worship to the Lord or worship to something else. And that's something to really think about. You know, Jesus says to Satan while the devil's tempting him, in Matthew 4, verse 10, Jesus told him, Get away, Satan, for it's written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. We can see how Jesus puts both these words together here in this verse, worship and serve. Jesus has another conversation with his disciples and the crowds later. He connects this view of money, this use of our money, this view of how people owe us and the debt they owe us, our view of forgiveness and our view of God. He, he puts it all together in Luke 16, verse 13. He says, no household slave can be the slave of two masters since either he'll hate one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't be slave servants to both God and money. And we remember earlier, we said one of the ways to serve is giving of our possessions and our finances. We're not going to talk a lot about that right now because next week we're going to give a whole message dedicated to money. I know you're going to love it. But what we can see is that serving, whether it's with our time, whether it's with our talents, whether it's with our treasures, it has direct ties into what we believe about God and how we worship God as we serve him. One more example I want to show you in James chapter 1, verse 27. He said, pure and undefiled religion before God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. See, caring for those who are in need, caring for those who need assistance, those who need support, especially in their times of distress, are appropriate responses, appropriate practices, appropriate service to worship God. We serve because we have beliefs and convictions about God and we express those beliefs and those convictions through worship in helping one another. So we serve because it's an expression of our worship. We also serve because it keeps the church united and healthy. Can you imagine a church that does not teach the Bible? Can you imagine a church that does not talk about the good news of Jesus? Can you 
imagine a church that does not help those in need? Can you imagine a church where people can come and they can leave still lost and hurting? We serve because it keeps the church united and healthy. You know, when Jesus was on the earth teaching and preaching, he didn't really try to reorganize or refocus the Old Testament system of religion. He came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to destroy it. But Jesus did not have these reoccurring meetings with the religious leaders in order to correct them of the errors because he's trying to rebuild the system. Jesus did not storm the gates of Rome and have a confrontation with Caesar or lobby with the Sanhedrin to change the local policies around a Jewish law. In fact, Jesus gathered together every day with ordinary folks like you and me to start something new. He told Peter, this fisherman by trade, upon this rock, upon this pebble, really, I will build my church, my gathering. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And that's exactly what Jesus continues to do to this day. That's the way in which God's kingdom, his business, his organization, his, his agency is growing and it's strengthened because you and I are serving one another in multiple ways. And I'm not saying that government involvement isn't important. We should be concerned with the laws of our land and how they affect our practice of worshiping our God. We should voice our concerns to the proper channels and speak against the laws and the leaders who are going against what God has clearly told us to do or not to do. But I don't think that we should expect those avenues to bring the hope of Jesus Christ to a people who need it. See, Jesus said, you, you little pebble with you and a bunch of your little pebble friends, I'm going to do something amazing. You're going to do something amazing to where the gates of hell will not be able to withstand you going in and rescuing people from their sins. So when you and I stop serving, when you and I stop helping one another, when we stop being connected to one another, it slows down the function of the church. It slows down uh, our ability to make our communities better. It, it shifts the hope of Jesus Christ and his church to some government program or someone who doesn't know God to meet a need. And they may be able to fill a physical need, but that person may possibly leave with their spirit and their soul without hope, without love, and without true life. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians was writing to a church full of division and dysfunction. And he wrote to them about how and why they needed to stay unified. And he uses an example of the body. And there's a lot of different illustrations that we can talk about the church. Uh, he even compares the church with marriage as the husband and the wife and how they come together. It's such a mystery. But here he uses the illustration of the body. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 14, he said, So the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body. In spite of this, it still belongs to the body. And if the ear should say, oh, because I'm not the eye, I don't belong to the body. In spite of this, it still belongs to the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? 
But now God has placed each one of the parts in one body, just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? Now, there are many parts, yet one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. But even more, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. Now, here Paul is talking about the differing talents and gifts and roles of people within the church. Some had to apparently consider that certain people were more important than others based upon their talents or their spiritual gifts or their roles within the church. And Paul is saying every single individual is important and necessary. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are absolutely important and necessary to this local church or to your local church. And I think that's one of the things that Satan is using in this pandemic is to dismember the local church and try to slow down the function of the church. To be honest, we have people who are severed from the body because they don't feel comfortable coming in person, which is fine, but they aren't even watching online or listening at some other point in their week. They're not connected into a small group. They are dismembered, dislocated from the body. We have people who are severed from the local church because it's so easy to watch a service of another church which is hundreds and miles away. And I'm not saying that that's wrong because I like listening to other preachers and other church services online, but it does concern me if the study is true that 30 to 40% of people are not engaged in their local church service. What is that going to do for the church? And only time's going to tell how that can affect us serving as far as communicating the word of God, as far as proclaiming the gospel message to our neighbors, as, as far as seeing them come to Christ and to be baptized and to become a part of a local community body of believers where they can be encouraged and taught and cared for personally. And of course, I'm not saying that church attendance is going to make and break the church. Because even if you're not coming in person, there's a lot of things that you can still do to serve and to be connected to the body. We've got email and social media and text messages and calls and sending cards in the mail. Uh, and I'm thankful that a lot of that is happening here at Hope Chapel. We know people who are bringing people meals, going to the stores for them. We have people calling other people. And the truth is that we need each of you doing as much as you can. See, I'm not able to follow up. Our staff is not able to follow up. Our deacon ministry is not able to follow up with 500 people on a regular basis. And I'm sure I've missed some of you over the months. But we need each of us to do our part. That's why we lean and we trust that parts of the body is connecting to other parts of the body. And I think during these times, there's also some parts of the body that may need to help compensate, do more for the body, while some are being disconnected and hurting. You know, there's times where your knee may hurt 
And over time, your body will overcompensate for the pain in your knee. All of a sudden, your other leg will have to do extra work or it's carried up in your shoulders. It will carry the body for a while. And if we entered into the season of the scattered church, we have been relying more and more on a smaller and smaller and smaller group of people. You know, our greeting ministry is down just to a handful of people. Our music team and our tech team, they've got several open spots, and some people are serving nearly every week. Our facilities are down to just a couple of guys managing uh, our grounds in this building. Our kids' ministry is still unable to open primarily because we lack the personnel to provide a consistent and sustainable ministry to your children to our children. And I don't want to paint a picture like this is a sinking ship. By no means we are not. You are doing a phenomenal job. And God continues to bless this church, continues to bless you. You are praying for one another, helping one another, sharing in each other's burdens. And I know that some people are busier more than they were before with work and now remote learning with their children. It's just stressful. It's exhausting. And we know that there has been people who were serving before, but because they're at a higher risk of complications with COVID or they live with family who are at a higher risk, they've had to be able to step back. And we understand those things. But we also know that there are some who have the capacity to serve and who could fill in a gap. We need teenagers, and young adults to help fill in the spots that maybe our senior leaders once filled. We need older couples who don't have kids at home to maybe help serve families who are having a tough time balancing work and remote learning. We need people who are comfortable with being in-person services and just welcoming those who are comfortable with in-person services. We need those senior citizens who are at home to make phone calls to other seniors or to stressed out families whose marriages are falling apart. They need someone to call them and encourage them during these times. We need those who have never served before or those who it's been a while since you've served to begin to pray and ask God, how can I serve? Where should I serve? Begin serving and serve again. Because each of you are important and necessary to this local body. So please don't disengage. Don't dismember from the body of Christ. And if you are hurting or you're feeling isolated, you got to send those messages to that, that central nervous system and say, yo, I got a problem over here. I'm in pain. Let somebody else know that you need some help, you need some serving, you need some prayer, and the whole body will come together as we heal and help one another in unity. If you're not a part of a small group, I'd highly encourage you to get in one. We have several life groups who meet either in person or virtually. And this is a way where you could feel connected to the body you can get connected stronger in your relationship with God as well as just feeling that care for one another. So we serve because it helps keep the church united and healthy. 
And last, we serve because it shows the love of God to a world who doesn't know God. We serve because it shows the love of God to a world who doesn't know God. And I think we all can be honest and say that the church isn't always done a great job at communicating that God loves the world. What the world sees, it often believes that the church people are judgmental, they're self-righteous, they're biased, they're stingy, they're hypocritical, they're haters, and so on. And humanity has created such evaluations on what it sees, whether that's right or wrong. There's a story in the Old Testament which talks about selecting this next king after King Saul. The prophet Samuel was sent to handpick the next person. He goes to this family, Jesse, as God had directed him, and he has all the sons come out. And as they're standing there, Samuel has maybe a pretty good idea on who God was going to pick for the next king based upon his stature, a well-built guy, looking good, all that kind of stuff. And God spoke to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, that said, For man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Now, we often refer to this verse when we talk about how God cares more about our heart than our actions. Uh, He cares more about whether your heart is right before him than just making sure you go to church to check off off a box that you did some type of religious practice. He, He cares more about your humility than about your strengths and your smarts. But what this also tells us is the practical truth that humanity can only see and makes evaluations and judgments on what they see. See, humanity will only believe that you really care about them when they see that you are caring for humanity. Humanity will only believe that you really care about them when they see that you care about humanity. Your neighbor will only believe that you really love God and love others by what they see and what they hear while you're at home how you engage your kids, how you speak to your spouse, how you treat them as a neighbor. Are you a friendly neighbor or do you kind of just ignore everybody and do your own thing in your neighborhood and your complex? It's easy for us as Christians to say, well, we're not supposed to act a certain way or to let people see what we're doing because we're doing it for God. And I know that we want to make sure that we do things so that even our right hand doesn't know what our left hand is doing. Because we're not to please God, we're to please, you know, we're to please God, we're not to please man. And you are absolutely correct. We should not be doing those things just so people can see us good things. But I want us to look at something Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. In verse 13, he said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt shall lose its taste, How can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. Jesus is saying that you and I are in the world providing some seasoning, some interest to otherwise boring food, to make things taste better, to keep things preserved from going bad. But there can become a time when you and I are perhaps no longer We don't have that robust effect or interest. People really don't see our benefit. 
They don't want to add what we're trying to give to them to their life or what they're doing. And even though it's impossible to make salt not salt anymore, it can stop being desired or useful or shown to be beneficial. You're the salt of the earth. Have you lost your saltiness? Your ability to cause interest in someone else's life. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on the lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. Jesus is saying that you and I are objects to brighten people's paths, to guide them into life, to comfort them from those fears of darkness. And we don't have to keep that to ourselves as though it's some secret or some shameful idea. It's to be pleasantly radiant to everybody who is around, especially to those who are in your own house. That's where we got to start and then broadcast that through the city. What is your reputation with people around you? Would people seek you because your life seems to be put together, even though they know that maybe your life is not put together? And what I'm saying is that we don't need to be fake around other people. We need to be authentic because people know whether you're being fake or whether you're being real. People know that your life may not be perfect, but there's a level of maturity and ability to withstand, and that's attractive. In verse 16, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And this really brings it all back together about letting people see your good works, you serving other people. We're not doing it so we can boast and get a pat on the back and say, look how awesome I am. We do it because God tells us to serve and we love other people. And as we're doing those things, as we're serving one another, it's just going to be inevitable. It's going to be unavoidable for people to take notice on what you're doing. So we let people know what we are for more than what we are against. And we do that through serving. And serving can be done in many different ways. It can be done here in an organized fashion. Here at the church, it can be done where you live and just meeting the needs within your community. It can be done as individuals, as you just care and love on your neighbor or helping someone that you know needs help or giving someone a phone call. Serving can be done with finances and resources as well as just with your words and your presence. And no matter what you can do, I'm encouraging you to do it. God is encouraging you to do it. God is commanding you to do it, actually. You are helping the local church to do what it is designed to do, to function as God designed the church, to communicate the love of Jesus Christ to not only his followers, because we need that encouragement as well, we all do, but also to those who don't know anything about God and will only know about God through your words and your actions, through my words and my actions. So if you're able to serve 
and you're not serving to your full capacity, I'd really ask you to pray to God about what he wants you to do. Is there time and space in your schedule that maybe you're just keeping your to yourself and you just you don't want God to enter that space, but you need to be asking God, are you wanting me to serve with the time that I have and with that worship you? Maybe you're feeling dismembered from the local church and you just can't serve at this time like you would want to. Or maybe you need some help yourself. And I encourage you to please, please let us know what's going on with you and how we can help. Because I'm very grateful to be a part of this local church that I know the moment they hear of needs, there are people praying for one another. There are people rallying together, providing resources, collecting whatever they need to help somebody out. You know, our salt isn't always perfectly applied. Sometimes we don't have enough salt. Sometimes we put too much salt. Sometimes our light doesn't always shine brightly or pointed in the right direction. We're not perfect. But let's make sure that all of us are doing our part to worship God through our serving, keeping the local church united and healthy through our serving, and to showing the love of God to those who don't know God through our serving. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for loving us, giving us grace and mercy, and then gifting us with abilities and talents and resources, not for our own selfish gain, but that we can use those for your glory to help communicate a message to a a world that needs to hear that message of hope and love and life. And so, God, I'm praying that you would reveal to me, that you would reveal to those who are listening, how they can be more engaged into the body of Christ, where they can serve. How is it that they can serve? Whether they're coming in person or whether they're watching online, how can they serve another part of the body, your body, the church? We need your help. We need some poking and prodding at times. And God, just help us to be able to see that you are using us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.